0: Don't call it a comb I'll have hair for years
1: Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy hey, up, my
2: glasses, on out the door I'm gonna hit this city That's Before a... I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack Cause when I leave for the night I ain't coming back I'm talking
0: Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios I hate these guys
1: I don't know why you don't And I'll be in the car
2: This is the Press Box. Makeup stuff. Tyler Bischoff. That player is known as the Scrabble
0: Jackass and is then handed the box top for any further rule clarifications.
2: Adam Candy. I can't hate him. He is so transparent in his self-interest that I kind of respect him. Would I buy a car from him? On ESPN Las Las Vegas.
1: Ed Grady is on a plane somewhere to Minnesota because the Golden Knights couldn't. Finish the job in five. So we have Adam Candy in today, and we're going to start with the Golden Knights. The first bite. Helps to have it pulled up. Did the Golden Knights deserve better? Well, Pete DeBoer thinks they did. I, I thought the second period we deserved a little more. You know, I, I didn't think we deserved to be down three uh, one at the end of one and I you know I thought we deserved you know to have probably tied it up by the end of the second so so after the Golden Knights lose a game three to two in which they outshot Minnesota 39 to 14 had a uh, sizable edge and expected goals and high danger chances Adams they deserve better do they deserve more in that game
0: Absolutely. They deserved more. They deserve better. And the problem is that's not how hockey works, right? I mean, if you want to talk about what you deserve, you can look at every single game of this series. The team that dominated Corsi four has lost every single game of the wild and Golden Knights series. And it hasn't been particularly close in some of these games. So in the end, yeah, you can want to deserve a whole lot more and deserve has you on a plane back to Minnesota. I like I I don't
1: disagree with Pete DeBoer. To me the bigger problem is oh, that shot at Ed Graney. That's the same exact things we heard last year when they were nearly blowing a 3-1 lead to Vancouver and then getting eliminated in 5 by Dallas. Was that the Golden Knights were outplaying those teams. The Golden Knights were getting more shots and more chances than those teams, but they kept losing those games because they couldn't score. They couldn't beat Thatcher Dimco, right? They couldn't score in those games. So, like if this was just a one-off, I, I wouldn't be that worried about it. But just because we saw this exact formula play out into a, hey, yeah, suddenly you're in seven games against Vancouver and then you're eliminated by Dallas in five, that to me is the that's a little bit of concern from Pete DeBoer saying that
0: just because we heard him saying the same things last year. Absolutely. And that's the problem that we've seen for two postseasons here with the Golden Knights in which... You say, okay, yeah, we played the way we were supposed to play and it didn't work because we ran into a hot goaltender because we couldn't score at the right times, whatever you want to call it. Ultimately, the Golden Knights are on a plane to Minnesota right now because they are a team that tries to play a certain way and if they don't adjust to someone beating that way, then you get a game like this, right? Because... Obviously, that second period in which Minnesota did not have a shot until seven minutes remaining (laughs) in the period is the kind of period the Golden Knights should be playing. And yet it produced one goal and they basically lost a five minute stretch of this game in the first period. And that was enough to lose the whole thing. So ultimately, the Golden Knights can say whatever they want to say about, yeah, if we play that game again, we're probably going to win it. Like you just said Tyler, that's exactly what we heard against Dallas last year, over and over and it was like the slow road to hell as every game you kept hearing the same thing and you kept looking up at the scoreboard and saying, "Right, but you're down 3 games to 1." <laughs> is there like
1: is there a flaw with this team that's not very apparent where they can be a great regular season team, get to the postseason and have games just like last night where they dominate or seemingly dominate? but don't actually win. Like, is there a flaw or do you just chalk it up to hockey's kind of a dumb sport? You don't always win, even though
0: you're better. I think it's fair to put a little bit of both into that equation. And if you look at last night, just take last night. Don't think about the rest of the series. If you look at last night, that is actually kind of how I thought this series would play out. I told you last week, I bet the wild to win the series and thought, yeah, they tend to frustrate the Golden Knights, right? They tend to be a team that has the right system to frustrate the Golden Knights, where you said, are they a team that plays better in in the regular season? Yeah, because over time, when you look at, this is what we talk about with analytics all the time, over time, a team that does the right things analytically is going to win more than they lose. When you turn it into a seven-game sample, that can easily go against you. It's just a coin flip, and part of that is hockey having dumb luck, but what works well for the Golden Knights is not always what works well in the playoffs. What we saw in the games that they won is that they were able to adjust, right? If Minnesota in your offensive zone is not going to allow you to get into the middle of the ice, then you shouldn't spend a lot of time setting up in your zone. You should try to be creating momentum by starting the attack from your own zone getting momentum carrying it on the rush they did a very good job of adjusting to that but what happened last night was they never really adjusted they there wasn't as much dump and chase and try to create within the zone they really were focused in a lot of ways on trying to be able to get through the neutral zone which it didn't seem to work for them.
1: yeah in game four All three of the Golden Knights goals were scored off of some form of transition. Like they did not score because they were set up in the offensive zone for 20, 30 seconds and then got a deflection in front of the net or a rebound or something like that. They scored on transition. They scored on a quick hitting play. And then um, Mark Stone's goal last night was was through transition, right? A pass comes from the defensive zone. Alex Tuck tips it to the neutral zone and Mark Stone's in. That's how they have been able to sort of uh, break Minnesota or or change what had happened in the regular season against Minnesota is they've been able to get those transition goals. It almost feels like last night specifically, not that Minnesota wanted the second period to go like that, but Minnesota was able to play the scoreboard where, okay, the Wild are up by two. They don't have to chase anything they can let the Golden Knights set up in the offensive zone and block a bunch of shots, give them a bunch of stuff from the point, but not let them get into the slot. It, it feels like the Golden Knights, they found a way to get through in transition, and they've done it in their the three straight games they won. But once the Wild had a significant lead, the Wild could play the
0: scoreboard and prevent that from happening really at all the rest of the game. And isn't that what Pete DeBoer, Tyler, said before this series? Said we need to play with the lead? Because Minnesota does have that sort of left wing lock heritage where they can go back and say yeah once we have a lead we basically can take our ball and go home by making it frustrating for you to try to do any of the things that you want to be able to do so when it comes to the golden knights being able to build speed through the neutral zone well if minnesota doesn't have to worry about scoring and let's be (laughs) honest in the second period they sure didn't look worried about scoring uh then You know, the Golden Knights have to adjust to that. And they have in previous games, but they did not at all last night. How much
1: blame do you think Marc-Andre Fleury deserves for that game?
0: None in the end. Because if Marc-Andre Fleury plays... Okay, we're going to talk about the deserve game. If Marc-Andre Fleury (laughs) plays that game most nights, then the Golden Knights should win, right? Uh, Giving up three goals is obviously suboptimal. A save percentage in which you allow... Uh, you know three on 14 shots is not great but he also didn't face a lot of opportunities like the team kept everything away from him and I say no blame to Marc-Andre Fleury because they would probably be down three games to two or maybe have lost this series without Marc-Andre Fleury uh, as we have to say because this is the only thing you say in sports about a goaltender stood on his head for the first two (laughs) games of this series okay Your point about them maybe being
1: down three, two in the series, if it wasn't for flurry, probably accurate, but I am here for short sample size and uh oh, he wasn't good for four or five minutes in one game. We got to pull him and put in Robin Leonard. That's what I'm ready for is a four or five minute sample size of, uh oh, he gave like when we talk about how much blame does he deserve? Like the third goal, the ultimate game winning goal gets shot right into Flurry's like chest and he coughs up a rebound that gets poked between his pads. Like it's not a great goal for flurry. To give up there, but the Golden Knights went on to outshoot him like 30 to two the rest of the game. So you'd think they'd be able to cover that up. So I think there's some blame that for that game specifically, but it is a, a I don't think DeBoer is going to make any changes going into game six, but it did at least open the door. Cause you look back at that and you say, well, why'd you lose? Well, you only did give up three goals on 14 shots. So I think it does open the door, even though I doubt it happens.
0: No, it's not going to happen. And Mark Andre Fleury is going to stay in the net for as long as he's healthy uh, during this series. I think the only thing you could see is that maybe if the Minnesota Wild came out and you know went up four or five to nothing in Game Six, that maybe you pull him and rest him for the final game of the series. But uh, no, I, I don't think Mark Andre Fleury deserves the blame for this. I, I think the you know if 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 you were to pull Mark Andre Fleury at this point. You would great. essentially be oh. giving Alan Walsh all of the oh. ammo he needs to break out the cartoon drawings.
2: So again.
1: let's do that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That'd be great. Oh, it'd be the greatest story.
1: I mean, you and I, Adam, would have to forward them to Tyler. But he does have me blocked on Twitter. That is unfortunate.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is that, that's the most fun Jeopardy question of all. What do Alan Walsh and Marcus Arroyo have in common? Yeah,
1: they have blocked me on Twitter. Unbelievable. What have I done to deserve this? Well, I know what I've done to deserve this. Never mind. I shouldn't say that out loud.
0: Well, hold on a second. Wait a second. I thought deserve didn't matter. You just told me Pete DeBoer shouldn't be talking about deserve. No. This is
1: why I like Adam.
0: Twitter Twitter's more just
1: than the sport of hockey. Hockey is not a just sport, but Twitter is. Twitter's more
0: just. Yeah, I mean, you you know, you certainly have an idea of the rules of engagement on Twitter. (laughs) It's just that ultimately when you keep score on Twitter, what should look as a win is probably a loss more often than not.
1: Uh, Do do you know what got me blocked by Alan Walsh on Twitter? I do not. It has nothing to do with Marc-Andre Fleury or the sword in the back picture. It has to do with Brandon Peary, because if you remember... Uh, Two years ago, Max Pacioretty and the healthy scratch incident where Gerard Gallant said he was going to be a healthy scratch after morning skate, and then the Golden Knights came out a couple hours later and said, no, no, he has a minor injury, and we're, we're sitting him out for precautionary reasons. And then Alan Walsh went on a tirade about how How could anyone believe the Golden Knights would scratch Max Pacioretty? And I quote tweeted him something about Brandon Peary having scored like eight goals in the last 10 games and how he wishes he represented Brandon Peary instead of Max Pacioretty.
0: Mm, Yeah, you know, it almost feels like he would have been ready for a little bit of heat over the sword in the back. Whereas I'm sure he was not planning on having to deal with that over Brandon (laughs) Peary and Max Pacioretty. So, you know, again, deserve being the word of the day. Um, I I think if you asked Pete DeBoer, he would probably say you deserved it. What's more likely, Adam, Max Pacioretty
1: plays a game in this series or the wild win in seven?
0: Interesting question, because I think they are very closely related, right? (laughs) the Minnesota Wild are officially in this series now. And I know it seems, you know, kind of cliché and obvious to say it, but you kind of were wondering why the Wild, who played so well for nine periods, had just disappeared over the last five. Right? Like they went into the first two games, I should say seven, my math is awful. Um, but the first two games they probably deserved to win both of them ultimately, and up to the Joel Erickson-Eck disallowed goal in game three, it looked like the Wild were poised to go ahead and take off in this series. And when we talk about the Golden Knights and their ability to score, well, I mean, duh, who's the best scorer on the team? Who is the best pure scorer on the Golden Knights? It's Max Pacioretty. And so do I think he's going to play a game in this series? No, but of course, the NHL being what it is, they won't say anything. We don't even have the upper half, <laughs> lower half on Max Pacioretty. Like we are being quiet by Golden Knight standards on what's going on with them. So I'm left to just say that at this point of the season, if Max Pacioretty could go, I think Max Pacioretty would have gone already.
1: All right, coming up next, we'll jump into the NBA playoffs because three-point shooting. Oh, good thing it's a 7-game series. Yeah, I ran into those guys and and um, you know, that was kind of what jump-started, I think, the whole thing. So it was uh, crazy seeing him down there and all that, but uh, just glad that uh, you know worked out the way it did. That was Matt Stafford talking about seeing Sean McVay on vacation in Cabo, which means John Gruden needs to find out where Aaron Rodgers is going on vacation and just show up. Don't even book a room at the hotel. Just show up and hang out in the lobby. Uh, but do want to spend some time on the NBA because... Uh, Adam, is it fair not to say that Bryn Forbes is now the greatest player in NBA history?
0: Uh, Bryn Forbes is the greatest May 24th player <laughs> in the history of the NBA.
1: <laughs> that might not even be true because Nikola Jokic and Damian Lillard were pretty great last night too. But Milwaukee hit 22 threes in last night's win over the Heat. They hit 15 in the first half. Bryn Forbes made six of nine threes in that game. He had five. In the first half, Um, I like that to me. Granted, the Bucks are better than the Heat. They should beat the Heat, even though they lost to them at five last year, but they should beat the Heat. But that to me is like the perfect example of why the NCAA tournament can be great and cause chaos versus why the NBA is always going to give us like the best team wins because basketball can be as dumb as hockey in a one game sample size.
0: Of course it can. And the one thing you've seen over the course of two games in any series that has gone that far is that the team that's shooting the three is the team that's going to win, right? Because there are very few things that are going to separate you this time of year. And so if you are getting more points from launching the basketball from a certain place, then you probably should be a little better at it.
1: I have a question. Did you see much of like people criticizing Miami for like three point defense last night? (laughs)
0: <laughs> it's an easy thing to do, right? Yes, I did see that. And I just love it. I-, I love the idea that you can effectively defend the three. Like there's a strategy to it.
1: Yeah. And that's like, that's the part of basketball that I'm, I'm curious. When do we get to a point where, like, the average fan doesn't just yell about three point defense when a team gets hot from three? Because generally speaking, what you think three point defense is isn't real. Like you can't, re- the defense has very little control on whether or not the three point shot actually goes in. You have some control on whether or not they take the three. You can like physically run guys off the three point line, but once a guy shoots a three, like because three pointers are almost never blocked because they're very rarely, like even heavily contested, like you might get a hand up, but that's about as much contesting as you're going to do compared to like a layup or something in the paint, like three point shooting is almost all on the offense, whether or not it goes in and a team getting hot, like Milwaukee did last night. There's usually not much Miami can do. Cause even if you say run them off the three point line, you're ultimately just encouraging bad defense because you're encouraging bad closeouts, out-of-control closeouts to try to prevent a three-pointer, which is usually going to lead to more layups, and layups are more efficient than actual three-pointers. So I'm just curious when we get to a point like as a basketball-watching community where we don't complain about the three-point defense when another team gets hot.
0: I don't know if we're going to get there because it's a lot easier to complain when you're watching Giannis drive down the lane with nobody there and throw it down and say, well, get in front of him," than it is to say, well, yeah, we should have effective closeouts that are under control out to the three point line and we'll take our chances with whatever happens from there, because in the end that is lower percentage. And I probably just put everybody to sleep just saying that like that's it's a lot more nuanced argument than it is to say, well, how are you letting them shoot like that? Well, sure. Go ahead, run them off the three-point line, and then see what happens against a guy in Giannis who shot 80% inside the restricted arc this year. You want teams shooting jumpers. You don't want to recklessly, you know, pack it in like Milwaukee tends to do. Because we've heard that, you know, from Jonathan Von Toble over and over again about how, yeah, Budenholzer packs it in and never goes out and guards the three-point line. Sure. You know, uh, that is a valid criticism to not leave people open all the time. But to criticize a team for saying they don't defend the three-point line well, I don't know is a valid criticism.
1: Yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's just a part of the game that we, I see it a lot in college basketball and especially with this last year's UNLV team where teams knock down a bunch of threes and the criticism is the defense isn't good enough. And at the end of the day, I don't think it has much to do. With the defense. It's it's not where the criticism should be. You know, at the end of the day, it's probably not much criticism to actually to have. It's more about now, well, well Bren Forbes of all people knocked down six three pointers in a game. And if Bren Forbes is gonna knock down six three pointers, you're probably gonna lose that game. Um and the other the other good example is I mean, Damian Lillard and the Blazers last night, where Damian Lillard hit eight threes in the first half, they scored sixty-one points and they were trailing by 12? Like, that's probably another great example of, like, the Nuggets were so good offensively that it didn't matter, but it's not like the Nuggets could have done anything better when Damian
0: Lillard is pulling up from the midcourt logo and knocking down eight threes and a half. No, there's obviously not, but the flip side to that is the Blazers are so bad defensively that they could be the exception that proves the rule, right? Because the Blazers are a team that is an offensive factory for both teams. Like, they're going to score and they're going to let you to score. They are abysmal on defense, and so they executed a strategy very well in game one in which Nikola Jokic only had one assist, and if you turn him into just a scorer and don't let him pass, then yeah, you're probably going to have a pretty decent chance to beat the Nuggets, but of course, teams adjust on the fly. The Nuggets adjusted, and that's what we got out of game two, probably a truer representation of how these teams should be playing each other throughout the series, but look, the blazers shot 19 of 40 from three point range in game 1 they probably weren't going to do that again and so here we have a series that was supposed to be pretty darn even in which both games have gone off with one team favored by two points or less and we're probably going to go six or seven
1: yeah on your point about the blazers they were second in the regular season in offensive rating and second to last in defensive rating like if you want to if you if you want to watch a team where there's going to be a lot of points they're the team to watch if you're looking for the 80s basketball or something
0: what do you what are we watching
1: the knicks is that the best best team giving us 80s basketball right now
0: uh yeah oh god absolutely oh it's oh it's a complete <laughs> throwback uh, charles oakley and anthony mason could easily be on this team this year for the new york knicks so yeah the look you know what the blazers are they're fun they're a lot of fun you're never gonna watch a blazers game and think to yourself Ugh, why did i just spend the last two hours doing it? no You're not because you're going to see things that are awesome. And actually, you know what the disappointing part of the game last night was, Tyler? The second half sucked. It did. Like the second half sucked just compared to the first half. It wasn't a bad half of basketball in the second half. It's just that that was one of the best first halves of the entire season with playmakers going back and forth and a crowd in Denver that was amplifying it even more.
1: So, all right, the Blazers are fun. I have found myself since the playoffs have started talking about fun players and guys I like to watch. Who's
0: the least fun team in the playoffs right now? Ooh, boy, that's a hard one. I would probably say Miami. Right? There's, there's really not a lot that's enjoyable about watching the Miami Heat play. They, they want to slow things down. You know, they're probably going to muck things up a fair amount. And uh, who are you like? Who's, who's the player that you're tuning in to root for on the heat
1: Duncan Robinson.
0: oh boy oh boy jared
1: and ed are like i don't know ed spolster like truthers or something they think ed spolster is like this amazing coach so they can't say anything bad about the heat um yeah i think the heat's a good one the celtics like jason tatum is great but the celtics have been like broken and seem like they've very clearly underwhelmed i don't view the celtics as a lot of fun because like I view the Grizzlies as fun. I view the Wizards as fun. But I think those are the two teams that jump out to me. The Heat and the Celtics is like, yeah, they're the two I have the least interest
0: in watching. Well, you you got to specify the rules right from the beginning. You said in the playoffs. Boston Celtics are not in the playoffs. Boston <laughs> Celtics are just here to play the role of Team X for Brooklyn to defeat in round one.
1: Hey, they want to play in game. You can't take that away from them. I'm not trying. <laughs> I am. Poor Boston Celtics. Yeah, it's just like I the the playoffs are, are about as wide open as they've been in a long time in the NBA this year, which is, I think, a fun thing. And even though, you know, the Grizzlies and Wizards don't have a legitimate chance to win it. I think it's made me I've enjoyed more of the game so far in the first round where normally it's OK Give me LeBron in the finals against Steph Curry or something like I'm I'm more or less waiting for the great matchup in the conference finals of the finals this year I think I've enjoyed the first round more simply because oh Trey Young's not going to win a title but Trey Young was really fun oh the Suns probably aren't going to win the title but Devin Booker was really fun like I don't know for some reason the more openness of it
0: has made me think has made me enjoy the first
1: couple of games more than I thought I more than I
0: usually have well yeah I know where you're coming from with that because there there's been more watchable basketball and you know what that is. That is a credit to the play-in tournament. That is a credit to getting teams that are actually hot and playing good basketball at the end of the year versus an eight seed that just sort of found itself hanging out in limbo between should we try to get in the lottery or should we try to get in the playoffs and did shrug emoji and said, "Eh, I don't know. Like, you actually have a Grizzlies team that is peaking and playing great basketball right now and got the benefit of, you know, the Donovan Mitchell mess going on up in Utah. <laughs> and then on the other side, you got a Wizards team that is actually doing fun things on the court with Russell Westbrook and a healthy-ish Bradley Beal. All right, coming up next, your own Weitzman joins the show. Here's a steal by Giannis on a bust-out. Lays it up good. One eleven 11 to 79.
1: Joining us now is Jerome Whitesman. He wrote the book Tanking to the Top about the 76ers and trusting the process. Plus, check out his podcast, Whitesman Can't Jump. How are you today, Jerome?
2: Doing okay. What about you guys?
1: We are good. Um, so I actually want to start with Donovan Mitchell. And how how curious is it to you that we have a report that like his personal training team and the jazz training staff are at odds about how healthy he is and whether or not he should play.
2: Um, yeah, I would say so. I mean, that that's that stuff happens all the time. I think and a lot of this this is like a constant battle in the NBA these days between um, star players, how much say they get, and they have their own people, and then who works for who, and the own people work for the um, team, how they relate, and like coaches and training staffs getting into issues because coach, you want to have that a clear guy. So that a lot of that's normal, even though it can be a little concerning. The part that's more concerning here is that Mitchell went public with it, which shows you there's like a lack of trust there and a lack of foundation. And that there've been reported issues in the past of Mitchell and, excuse me, Mitchell and Gobert and Mitchell and other people in the organization. And just, I don't know what it all means, but it definitely feels like it's something that is something, if that makes sense. It does.
0: And, the strangest part, and I think this is maybe for me where it diverged from, you know, Kawhi and every other big story we've heard that goes along this line, is that everything we heard about Donovan Mitchell leading up to an hour before the game was, yep, cleared, ready to go, right? Donovan Mitchell's going to be back in, and, you know, the the betting markets were reacting accordingly. It seemed like all of the information was out there, and then this changed sort of on a dime. What do you read into the way it played out on
2: Sunday? Yeah, again, it's like this clear lack of trust, right? Because it's not even, you know, like I said, this stuff happens a lot. Um, And like I mentioned, superstars have their own teams and they they kind of, you know, they they work for the teams, but not really, right? They have their own list of guys who do these things. Um, But And and we've seen before where teams say, no, you want to play, we're not going to let you play. But the fact that, again, there's clear lack of trust there because that happens and usually there'll be frustration and that's it, and it doesn't come out. The fact that there, this came out, and I believe Mitchell, I could be wrong, but I believe he was even going to social media before the game, right, before the result. I could be wrong on that, but, like, before they lost. Um, if it happens after you lost, also that's different, right? You see that sometimes where just people get Frustrated with things, but it just—it just seems like something deeper is going on there, and it bears watching in terms of we see a lot with playoffs and superstars and all that. Like it just bears watching to see if things don't go well for the Jazz this year in the playoffs and what this all means and how it could all manifest itself.
1: All right, in about two weeks, who is the bigger star in the NBA, Trey Young or Devin Booker?
2: Ooh, um. Star so, uh, Trey Young's gonna be that's a good question. You know, I'm in New York, I'm gonna think a book is going to LA. This Trey Young thing's gonna become big and like he's gonna he's gonna get booed like crazy and tomorrow night in the garden. Um I don't know if it's a bigger star. He's gonna be fans the Knicks and playoffs in the garden, it's gonna be like the Reggie Miller Spike Lee stuff. Like he's gonna be He's going to be a big story here in the playoffs, right? He's going to have more, if you want to go by name recognition or facial recognition, like Trey Young is going to, that he has is Trey Young. He's going to be front and center here for about a week or so now in terms of national media coverage of the playoffs and how he's treated by the Knicks in the garden.
0: God, that makes me want to yell, Your own, That makes me want to yell very <laughs> loudly, not just as a Knicks fan, but as someone who, look at that possession with the Knicks. Oh boy. Up 103 to 100. <laughs> Trey Young in the lane throws a pass that RJ Barrett has it clang off his hands into Bogdanovich's hands, it leads to a three. If that pass gets picked off by RJ Barrett, we have a whole different storyline here. Like, not just the, <coughs> the gameplay. For sure, time. but that, we're, so we're that, that that, that's we're not even talking about a yeah, game of
2: game of inches and breaks. Like this stuff always happens, right? It's just what you're supposed to do with any of it. I agree with you, right? There's a million things, and that game was so close, and then Trey Young hits that shot and uh you know, he gets the meme basically, which is today, you know, that's the biggest thing. You get the meme of shushing the crowd. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm with you. But it was, it was, I was at the game. I mean, it was, it was a, uh, I, I think if you ask athletes, and like i talk to people, like they, they all prefer to do it on the road. Like you want to hit the game winning shot at home or the silencer? The silencer, I think, is what people enjoy more, right? That's like a, that's a vintage moment we just saw there. So I, I agree with you. But that's, I mean, hey, that's playoffs here. That's sports, right?
1: Uh, Adam, is there like a play in the third quarter that somebody
0: messed up that you think you want to break down in depth as to why the Knicks lost? I mean, there are lots of plays that I'd like to break down involving Julius Randle, but why the Knicks <laughs> lost? but it, some of them probably happened in the third quarter. So no, you know, I'll let I'll let your own uh, you know talk about the uh, the smarter things about the game than that.
1: Uh, not, I don't want the smarter things. I want to know what you think of Trey Young's uh, what geography lesson with New York. Does he know where he's yeah, is? Yeah, so
2: what? It's first of all, I just, I, and as a New Yorker, I just like anyone, and it's it's branding now. But like, I, I it's, anytime someone refers to the Garden as the Mecca, I don't even know if these guys know what that means. They just, you know, it's the Garden, it's the Mecca. Like, I don't, I don't know, I don't even know what that means, right? But whatever. But yeah, then he thought they were playing in Times Square. And uh, for those who don't know, Madison Square Garden is not in Times Square. It's about like, eight blocks south of Times Square. So for those who know, he was actually, in I don't know, Midtown would be the proper, here. more proper term.
1: Are, are New Yorkers like stuck up and expect everybody to know that or do they actually have some sympathy because, yeah, why would
2: people know where everything is in the city? Yeah, I don't know if people are stuck up. Um, it's a good question. I don't know if anyone else noticed it. Uh, I had a few people text me joking. It's just like, you know, don't go to the cliches about just saying, you know, it's like it was, um, I don't know, word vomit, New York City mixed basketball bingo, right? Like Mecca, Times Square, <laughs> stage, you know, it's, it's putting together words that don't make sense together. So it's just, you know, speak from your heart. Don't do cliches. How about that?
0: Stick to what you know. Stick to what you know. You have you have plenty of ways to go after New York. That didn't need to be one of them. All right. We <laughs> we, we as Knicks fans, we understand that there is plenty you're going to clown us for. But hey, when it comes to something like our city and where the you know where the landmarks are, come on now. So I yeah, anyway, moving on from the Knicks and the Hawks because you know we have to. the The Lakers played Game One with an urgency that suggested, eh, we can win four out of six against the Suns. Right. Uh, what do we think about where the Lakers are right now? Uh, LeBron, it would appear, is not at 100%. And this Suns team certainly came out of the gate like a team with something to prove.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's the it's the health part. The Suns are really good. We've had that, right? We're going to focus on the Lakers. The Suns are really good. They've been really good all year. They have Chris Paul's great. He always elevates the team into winning. Devin Booker is a premier. Um, half-court score or score in general, right? And then that's the stuff you're talking about, like winning in the playoffs, winning recipes, that's that. Mikael Bridges is fantastic as a 3-and-D guy. Like, he's a lockdown league with shots. Aiden's gotten better. They're really good. They play really well together. They're disciplined. They're well-coached. They're playing straight on on defense. They're well-rounded. They're diverse. So they're really good. The thing is, the Lakers are fully healthy. They're the best team in the league, probably. You know, maybe the Nets are more talented. But just the Lakers, when they're fully healthy, what they are is they're the best defense in the NBA, and then they have the two guys who, like, if it's a close game, then the last five minutes, you're not picking against them, right? Because they have LeBron and AD. Um, and right now, it seems like LeBron and AD neither are fully either healthy or at least back into, uh, I won't say shape, but back into form. It's missing all that time, right? And the question is, can they, and this is the thing, like, when you're number seven seed, you're playing a really good team at number two, so you don't have that tune in series, right? And the question is, can they withstand that? Like, will they, Will there be are the Suns good enough to knock them off before they get rounded into form? So we don't want to overreact to one game like we saw last year. I think they lost Game One to Portland Lakers, right, Um, in the first round. Um, But this team's really good, and the Lakers—the health part is the scary part. Like LeBron, he did not put his imprint on that game. Davis did not look good. So we'll see what's going forward. But this series should go six or seven, at least. You know?
1: Are they going to stop playing Andre Drummond at center?
2: I mean, I, I'm surprised. I've been surprised. Uh, so I'm not out in LA, and I, I saw so I tell and Dad. I've been surprised at how um, eager they seem to be to get Marcus Paul out of the rotation. And it's not that I think Marcus Sol is what the guy he used to be, but Marcus Paul is a the reason I brought him brought him in, and the reason I thought he worked so well with him and a lot of people did, is because he's a. Floor space. He can hit an outside shot three if he's open. He doesn't like to shoot, but he can shoot, hit the outside shot. If he's open. He moves the ball. You can kind of run offense through. He's comfortable at the top of the key. That lets AD, you know, gives you more floor spacing and lets A V work in the down close to the basket stuff like that and they seem to e- been eager to move Marcus like out of the rotation. So maybe he looks awful and it doesn't work. But I've just been surprised by that. And yes, yeah, so the drumming like it doesn't it's a weird fit. So obviously A B is a really good shooter and you could space the floor, but it just it just seems unnecessary. Like it seems like you're trying to force something that you don't need. Um so it'd be interesting to see what they do. Either go AD, give Marcus some more minutes or put Anthony Davis at the five and kind of go a little smaller there. We'll see. But I I don't know. It's They seem to be very um, – the past few years, they've seemed very intent on having a five-man next to Anthony Davis, and obviously it's worked. Um, I, I don't understand the infatuation with Andre Drummond, but maybe we'll see what happens.
0: Well, your own here's the part that kind of drives me crazy listening to the broadcast, because they talk about how Anthony Davis, quote, doesn't like to play the five. Right. True or not, in the end, are we talking about a situation where Frank Vogel at all needs to put it the lineup out there with Anthony Davis, the five and say, this is our best lineup. And that's that because you end up with more talented players who can space the floor, who can create their own shot, as opposed to having Andre Drummond, who gets taken into the pick and roll and put in the spin cycle every time on defense.
2: Yeah, I, feel, I know during the regular season, I don't think, I mean, that's obviously true. I don't think Frank Vogel is not doing that in the playoff series because he's worried about AD's, Anthony Davis' feelings, right? They clearly, like, last year, Dwight Howard and Javel McGee and all that, they, they value having bigs, right? And being smash and it worked, and it has worked when they've had the top defense this year. So it's, I don't think it's that, um, it, I think it's just they want the five-man out there and Drummond, and for some reason they they think he helps them. I, one of the issues that Drummond is not the defender that people think he is, right? He's a good rebounder, but just he's a, it's a funky kind of player. It's a different kind of thing. Um, so I, I, I don't think they're scared about putting Anthony Davis in the five, and maybe Phoenix is a team because they don't really have a backup center, and DeAndre Aiden is big, but he's not, you know, if you want to post up, if the Suns want to win posting DeAndre Aiden on Anthony Davis, the Lakers will take that. Um, so maybe this is a good series to try that. Um, but I think they think their advantage is in their size, and it has been right uh, so to figure out if they get the right like, guys on the floor.
1: Well, he is your own Weitzman again. Uh, check out the podcast. Weitzman can't jump and the book tanking to the top your own. We appreciate it this morning. Thanks guys. So there you go. Um, Adam, I, I, I do have a question for you and we're going to get into your next complaints here in a minute. Um, is the number of teams that can you think can actually win the title seven or is it six? It's probably bigger. Oh, you think it's bigger? Really? So, like, you think, who who would you add to the three in the East and then Clippers, Lakers, Suns, and Jazz in the West?
0: I thought we were trying to stretch this out. I thought you said you were going to talk to me about, about this more when we came back.
1: Oh, no. Okay. All right. Yes, that would have been a better tease. That wasn't what I was doing, but that would have been a better tease. Coming up next, here's a terrible tease for you. Adam complains about Julius Randle's second quarter. <laughs>
2: Do you want to schedule a parent-teacher conference after hearing Granny's grades? Call the press box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678. And let us know who deserves a higher grade. Here's the one
0: and two. And here's a ground ball that should end it. It's scooped up there. Thrown to first
2: base by Jazz. And the game is over. Hoskins retired 6-3. to three.
1: So Adam Candy is in for Ed Grady today. Adam Candy, a New York Knicks fan. What was it? 2013 was the last Knicks playoff appearance. Is that right?
0: Pain. Pain, <laughs> Tyler Bischoff, pain.
1: <laughs> so uh, basically what? That's the same drought as you LV basketball, but the Knicks snapped it this year. So was it worth it for the Knicks to make the playoffs just to have your heart broken by Trey Young?
0: absolutely it was 100 Uh, to have an entire season where you knew the playoffs were a possibility where it wasn't like they backed their way into the 10 and you know won through the play-in where this was a team that you legitimately wanted to watch all year long because you thought to yourself on any given night they really do have a chance to win this game yeah of course it's worth it if they get swept it's worth it but to have it broken by Trey Young every time will certainly <laughs> suck a little more than uh, I would prefer.
1: What Okay, what are your, like, hopes and dreams of this Knicks team? Because I don't think anybody actually thinks they can win a title. So, like, what, is, like, what are your actual expectations of this Knicks team?
0: Uh, I want a mellow year repeat. I want this team to win a first-round series and then go and lose in six games in the... The conference semifinals because if that happens that means they'll have beaten the Sixers twice which is something they haven't been able to do for years they can't beat the Sixers they literally cannot beat that team and so yeah I have realistic expectations but look the fact that I was able this is where as a Knicks fan things were exciting Sunday morning I woke up and said to myself oh right I gotta remember what time the Knicks game is today That is not something I've gotten to do with the playoffs very much. Like this time of year, it's usually like, I don't know. Is there any games interesting? Is there something I want to put some money on? No it's actually my team is in the playoffs. I get to hear the music at the garden. I get to see the garden cheering for a big run. Like these are the things that as a basketball fan, not just as a Knicks fan, we all just want to feel like we have a damn chance. And the Knicks have not had that for many years
1: since 2013. uh, What's the list of free agents.
0: You thought the Knicks had a chance to acquire, but didn't. Oh, for the love of God. Uh, since 2013, I did not have the same hope that I did the first time around for uh, for LeBron. Um, I, I really thought that was a possibility. And then the Kyrie Kevin Durant thing really did break my heart because <laughs> there was enough out there <laughs> suggesting that this team had a real chance. And then for them to go to Brooklyn and basically say, oh yeah, we absolutely want to be in New York. We just don't want to be with the Knicks. That was sort of like crystallizing. Anybody who still had any... Inkling left of, well, there's a the Knicks, they're a destination, people want to go there. I accepted a long time ago that wasn't the case, but I did let Kyrie and KD get my hopes up just a little bit. So,
1: like, I see a Tom Thibodeau coach team and somebody named Emmanuel Quickly being a good player. What do you mean
0: somebody named and, Emmanuel Quickly? And Alec. Rookie Burks. of the Year Emmanuel yeah, yeah. quickly. And
1: Alec Burks being great in a playoff game. And it's like, okay, like that's That's a fun first round team, but that's about the extent of the Knicks. But I see it as almost like, okay, the Knicks are competent for the first time in almost a decade. And like, is this going to lead you to getting your hopes up that they will be able to land a big free agent in the next year or two? And can the Knicks actually do that because they've shown some level of competency?
0: You know, the biggest thing for this Knicks team, quite honestly, is not going to be doing that thing that they've done for the last 15 years where you try to clear out enough cap space to hope that you can sign a big free agent. They're actually doing competent team building from the jump, right? Uh, I don't have to dream on, will someone come from some other place? I don't have to get into all the stuff that went on with Zion this year when he said it's his second favorite place to play. Like, I don't need to get involved with any of that. I can actually watch them competently build a team through the draft, through reasonable free agent signings, yeah, they're probably going to have to pay Julius Randle, and at the level that Julius Randle played for a lot of the last two years, that won't be a problem. So I, do I have confidence that they'll be able to sign a free agent at some point? I don't know because James Dolan is still there. But can, he, can Leon Rose, who ha, is a former agent, who is as connected in the basketball world as anyone, can he convince people that he's the buffer, between ownership and the actual team on the floor absolutely and look Tom Thibodeau's song will eventually be tuned out by the Knicks it happens everywhere he goes but can he get them to the point where they can keep the momentum going I think that's entirely possible well okay so
1: like they have to be able to sign that free agent at some point right like the the way the roster's built like the Knicks aren't going to be a title contender like, they, they're going to have to bring in that player at some point, even if you love the way they're building it and they're not chasing after a player by clearing cap space. Like, at some point, that has to happen for them to
0: actually win anything. Sure, but it can happen naturally, right? You don't have to be paying other teams with draft picks to take your bad contracts if you never sign the bad <laughs> contracts in the first place, right? You don't have to worry about, is James Dolan going to step in and make you trade a first-round pick for Andrea Bargnani? Like, these are the things that with competent management, you don't have to sweat. So, yeah, I do think at some point they're going to have to sign a free agent because every team that competes in the NBA eventually has to sign someone to complement the roster. But you don't have to worry that James Dolan is going to take a completely finished trade for Kyle Lowry and knock it out because he thinks that Masai Ujiri got the best of him in Denver. Like, these things aren't going to happen if Leon Rose truly is taking the reins of this team so what
1: uh, strange situation is going to lead to a new york rangers style firing of the entire front office when james dolan puts out a statement that nobody else agrees with
0: uh, i can already see how this is going to happen so <laughs> jd in the straight shot uh james dolan's <laughs> hit band is going to be playing a show somewhere down in the village on a saturday night and he's going to ask leon rose to go check out the show and leon's gonna be like oh yeah totally i'll be there and then he's not going to show oh. up and Jim's going to get pissed off and fire. him. Oh. I will say one last thing for you as a Knicks fan. I do feel a little bad
1: for you that you can't enjoy Trey Young because Trey Young, like it, it's probably going to be one of the most fun stories players in the, over the next 10 days or so. And I know you're going to hate every single minute of it
0: if R.J. Barrett catches a pass thrown <laughs> into his hands, I don't have to worry about enjoying Trey Young for a second because the Knicks are up one nothing, and the entire narrative right now is about how Trey Young can't perform in the clutch.
1: Is that the pass that everybody was complimenting him for being so great? I believe so. Okay, you got to hate that. Trey Young is amazing. I love that yeah. guy.